Welcome, everybody. Are you losing your mind yet? <laughs> Lots to talk about today. Thank you so much for joining us. Make sure you can hear us okay. Make sure you can see us okay. Make sure um, in the comments, let us know where you're from and all that good stuff. Uh, today's community forum, we're joined with Hans and Borghand. We're going to be talking quite a bit uh, about what's going on with the craziness around Elon, how he seems to be, by some might say, collapsing Twitter, per se. A lot of noise around that uh, in the last couple of days. I think it's a very interesting use case for how... Uh, the businesses that Elon Musk Elon Musk runs are very unique, and I think all of us are getting a very uh, uh, front row seat on how it really is to be what it's really like to be in a Elon Musk company, as well as whatever else comes up through discussion. These are very open forums. Uh, for those that are not familiar with the format, Hans and Borkan are both supporters of the channel, either through Patreon or or YouTube um, Live. Oh, we got a, a fourth guest. Beautiful, yes, Ishan. What's hello, up? Hello, 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 hello. So, so we're going to uh, sit down and, and discuss what's going on. I think there, there's a lot to digest for both uh, fans of Tesla, Twitter, uh, those that have a lot of questions about how Elon operates and all that good stuff. And the big change starting with today's actually started with yesterday's live stream. But uh, now I have a producer. So producer wife, who's my wife, is in the background. She's going to be driving a lot of the production for the live stream. She'll be keeping you know her eyes open on the chat. Should be making polls uh, from time to time based on the discussion and whatever else. So, uh, yeah, I'm very excited to for this is the first time I think I'm going to be able to truly 100 percent focus on the discussion that's being had during these live streams. And I'm wondering how much more of an idiot I'm going to sound now that that's going to be the case. So um, anyway. Yeah. So uh, let's go ahead and kick it off. I think for me, uh, I'll start with my thoughts overall with what's going on with Elon Musk and some of the craziness around Twitter, I think. And I sort of give a couple of hints as I was given the introduction. For me, it's, it's we're talking briefly before we went live. It's par for the course, business as usual. It really looks like it's um, Elon is just doing what he knows how to do, which is building cultures that maximize innovation, maximize speed, maximize the cream of the crop coming to the top. And right now with twitter being a social media company and him having as much uh visibility and eyes upon him as as he has now it's a it's a different dynamic where a lot more people are now seeing quote unquote how the sausage is being made and that's causing a, a fair number of folks to feel very uncomfortable now especially as a, as a tesla investor i think uh, this is a weird time because tesla the company is tesla because of exactly what elon's doing with twitter but the noise that's being created around Twitter right now with Elon at the helm seems like it might be detracting a little bit <laughs> from the quote unquote story of Tesla, at least in the short term. And that's some of the ideas that I want to throw around as well. But uh, maybe we'll just go around the panel and get everyone's thoughts. Uh, Ishan, let's have you first since you haven't been on these one of these panels in a while. What, what are your thoughts? And then we'll make it into a conversation as per usual. Sure. Uh, I think to a large extent, I did uh, expect it. Um, if you think about it, beat SpaceX or Tesla, Elon, and of course, you know, uh, the group of uh, the close confidants that he has have had a chance chance to really build this culture up, hire, uh, you know, very specific to this, you know, hire people who are very much okay with this culture and really get that ball going right from scratch. With Twitter, what we see is like a completely, I would say, polar opposite culture as a company that was there. And I'm not saying what's right or what's wrong, you know, everybody uh, is 
open to you know uh, believing you know whichever cultures are good but see there are pros and cons sure i mean uh, people would we say people were happy at twitter i'm sure they were um, at the end of the day was twitter making money it wasn't so would those people lose their jobs at some point in time for sure um perhaps in this round of tech layoffs you know we probably have seen 2 3000 layoffs at twitter as well if uh, this entire thing had hadn't played out uh, so the biggest shock for me was that after about 3000 people had been laid off and about i think 3500 3700 people uh, remained they were given an opportunity right to be part of something uh, that's you know that could change the world and a majority of them by reports of course unconfirmed uh chose to not be a part of it and this is what i would say is either people are people so comfortable in what they're doing and do not want to take up a challenge or are is it is it just this herd mindset that hey you know what this guy is the devil and i'm not going to work for him etc i mean they're all smart they know he runs you know some very successful uh, companies you know some of the most valuable companies in the world right so i mean is it fear psychosis is it uh, just you know people who are just extremely comfortable whatever it is i i'm just you know frankly surprised that such a large number of people uh are in this you know are in this mindset and perhaps that's why twitter has been stagnating for such a long time and elon did not buy you know these employees elon did not his own these employees are in the way of elon's mission they're not enabling it elon paid billions of dollars for the 250 million daily active users not this bunch of employees i think that's that's how i look at it so what is rest of the panel think I'll go for it. I'll, I'll go for it. Yeah, so I kind of think about this a little differently, of course. Um I have wondered and I spoke to Hans, I was talking about Hans with this. I wondered if it, you know the idea was let's give it a shot. If it doesn't work, let's do a prepackaged bankruptcy. Let's clear out the debt. I can only imagine like if you start off with 7500 employees and you end up I think last night I saw there may be like 283 employees left, something like that, but it was a small number. and i don't know what the number they need to operate is but i can only imagine the amount of real estate that they occupy that they don't need all the office space etc and um and i was thinking so if he if he decreased from 7500 to if, if 7500 employees to 500 employees uh and you average out a 150000 all in per employee and i just picked a random number it's bay area it's probably more than that but that's like a million a billion too just in savings on that alone. Um so you know he again you know people talk about 4D chess this might be like a big big economic chess match and he already you know if it worked great if it you know it went significantly better than he than he expected then he didn't have to do that but if it didn't that was in the cards and he could act quickly. In terms of the response it's just unusual we're not used to people acting directly and dramatically you know people you know everybody smooths everything over with language and 
He just acts. And it was he did did nothing other than what he said he was going to do. But that's very dramatic and it impacts people. And you know, and to some degree, people could relate to being laid off. The other thing which I, I find curious, and Ishan kind of touched on this, my understanding is the the layoffs gave them three months uh, pay. And I don't think these people recognize uh, what the economics of the world are. Um, if we were like six months from now and we were in a recession, do you think these people would just throw away their jobs? I think these people are showing an absolute lack of foresight. They're, you know, they're letting their emotions run them when they should really be contemplating the grand scheme of where we are, what can be done. And they're probably being pushed by the leadership. There's probably an anti-Tesla movement within Twitter and they're probably pushing that movement. And you have to be strong to stand up to that movement. And I think all those are going on at the same time. Super interesting. Hans, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I just keep bringing this back to Andre Karpathy's comments on the Lex Friedman interview about Elon being singularly talented at reducing organizational entropy. He, I think his exact quote was that Elon is an extremely efficient warrior in the fight against organizational entropy. And that's what you're seeing now. Like Twitter was headed in this direction and Elon essentially had to do a hostile takeover. Like Ishan mentioned, he's built these cultures at SpaceX and Tesla and the boring company from the ground up. He didn't have something that he was working with that he had to fight against. Twitter does not have, like we said, it's like the exact opposite culture of what Tesla and SpaceX were. And so if you want to radically transform the culture of rapid pace of innovation, extreme work ethic, extreme accountability, when you have had literally none of those things for going on a decade, then you're going to have to come in and do something dramatic. And then it also ties into the All In podcast where um, the besties keep talking about, you know, people to prepare for this recession, they need to cut deep and they need to cut fast instead of I'm going to cut a little bit and I'm going to extend my runway by a little bit and I'm going to realize it wasn't enough and then I'm going to have to cut again and then I'm going to cut again that the companies that do that are much less likely to succeed. And so he's doing multiple things all at once. He is whittling down the core of the company to who actually is driven by the exact same mission and passion that I'm driven by to the same extent that I'm driven by those things that we're going to be all in. Let's find those people. And I want to find whoever is here in Twitter. I want those people to be here first. And Ross mentioned this on one of his interviews. Elon is looking to hire people and he's hiring people from within inside Twitter first. And so what we're watching is not a round of layoffs. We're watching a round of Elon hiring from within Twitter first. And once he's done with that, he will proceed to a subsequent round of hiring from outside Twitter to find people who are similarly motivated to work their butt off, to accomplish the mission, to radically innovate on the product at Twitter. And it is very uncomfortable. We are coming out of an economic period where there was just a lot of excess in the system and there was excess all over the place and it allowed for ineffective business practices. And it's easy to for a culture of entitlement to take root in that environment where 
you know, everyone wants to live in a world where you can have a great work-life balance, you can pursue hobbies and have a family life and make three or $400,000 a year salary at a job that you don't have to put a lot of effort into. Man, like if only the world was that place, but it's not. And there was a small microcosm of people who were incredibly lucky to experience a world that was like that for a very short season of time. And they're facing the same reality that the vast majority of all humans all over the world have to face. That world is not the world we live in. And it's unfortunate for those people. Um, uh, I wish them the best of luck in their next endeavors, but there is something very important that's going on at Twitter right now. And as uncomfortable as all of this looks from the outside, I like time will tell. Five years from now, I can almost guarantee you that we'll look back and say that was the most brilliant piece of hostile takeover strategy that we have ever witnessed in corporate history. Yeah, I think I think what the entire panel has said, I, I agree with, I think all three of you. Who needs to let somebody disagree with us? Uh, I think what's, yeah, man, it's, the, the lever of the recession coming up and ensuring that the survival of the company is secured through that time is a, is an angle that I haven't thought through too much, but makes a ton of sense. But the fact that that's being paired up so beautifully with, hey, there's this person that has a singular vision for the company's culture. And there's some very obvious things you can do. You know, it's like, you know, the first principles mantra gets thrown around a lot uh, when it in respects to Elon Musk and Tesla. But this is a perfect place where that principle is applied to building a company culture. You take a first principles approach. How do you ensure that the company's culture is operating at the at, at the at the highest level possible where efficiency is maxed out, uh, personal enjoyment in, in the in the company is maxed out, the quality of the product or service is maxed out, the amount of effort that people want to put in is maxed out. You ensure that all the people that are at the company want to be there. And that's and that's the first thing you do. And how do you do that? You, hello? Hello? <laughs> uh, how do you do that? You, you essentially walk into the company, you get rid of quote unquote, the fat that you think exists, and then you put that ultimatum in front of them. It's like, hey, listen, these are the expectations. This is how we're going to operate. If you don't want to be here, fine. No problem. Thank you for your efforts. Here's three months of severance, which, by the way, in the United States is very, very uh, generous. Usually you get like two weeks at most companies. And from that point forward, theoretically, you've maximized the number of people that want to be there and work as hard as possible. And what's frustrating for me and Justin makes an excellent point. I think it's extremely hard to change company culture. No way around it. Exactly. It's it's change. And how many people in the chat or how many people you know on the panel have you seen people or have worked at companies where you're like, God damn it, it's so hard to do anything because people just hate to make change and the leaders are afraid to do it because of the repercussions and the shitstorm that's going to be created from that. This is an example. Twitter is a perfect example for people that like to build businesses or are trying to learn how to be a leader at the optimal level. This is where uh, emotion, ego, and willingness to go through pain is in perfect display in order to maximize what your vision is for that company. 
And a lot of times that gets lost in the conversation. You know, it's 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 a perfect showcase on how to do that. Yeah, it's 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 just fascinating. Ishan, you, I saw you went off mute. Go ahead and uh, and share your thoughts. Yeah, no. So um, this actually reminds me of something that uh, you said about your time in Tesla and something you've learned, and I think a lot of us have learned from you. That is, you know, in order to succeed in an environment uh, like that, well one that's created by Elon, you've got to feel comfortable feeling uncomfortable. And I think right. a lot of people uh, are not there or probably have lost that. Um, just on another side of things, you know, and perhaps uh, if, you know, somebody has Elon's ear and can uh, uh, elevate this, there, there have been tons and tons of layoffs uh, across the US, about 120,000 and there are a bunch of people who are on a timeline, you know, those who are on H1Bs. They are going to work their buttocks off. You know, they'll move mountains to stay in the country. They have 60 days, you know, less now. They will move mountains. It's funny right? you say that because literally one of my one of my friends that is still at Tesla, she's, uh, she's on uh, uh, Visa. I don't want to say the name, but... Um, yeah, I was talking to her and it's like, that's the kind of message is like, I am going to work so freaking hard. Like you have no idea. I'm already working my ass off, but now I'm going to go crazy. I'm going to go crazy to make this happen. Go ahead. I just, I, that's just what I was reminded of. Go ahead, Ishan. <laughs> no, no, I'm just saying, you know, you're right. And uh, there is no dearth of people who will put in the effort, who will align with the mission. And, you know, it is just, I, I mean, I think that people uh, do not realize that they had the chance, the opportunity of their lifetime. Yeah. Go ahead, Parker. Yeah, so uh, a couple of quick, quick things. So when you terminate more than 50 employees in California, you're supposed to give a 60-day notice. So I know that when he originally went in, there was a goof up and they didn't give the 60-day notice. They just terminated people. So I think maybe the 90-day uh, uh, pay period is kind of to smooth over that. And to, there, so there can be no argument that the employees didn't get a fair shot. Um, and kind of adding to what Ishan said, there's going to be tons of engineers who got canned at all the FANG stocks. And all those guys who are making buku bucks and are living in San Francisco need jobs. So to the extent Twitter needs new engineers, I think there's gonna be a huge source of supply of those people. And the other thing I find really interesting, and I, I think it's kind of like a plus for Tesla shareholders. You know, whereas every, all the fangs and Twitter, everybody's cutting staff. The only guys who are not is Tesla. And Elon is showing a propensity that if he thinks so that cutting is appropriate, he will do it. In the terms of Tesla, it's the opposite. So really, to me, it really supports that he really believes that there is a big plus coming in the future for Tesla. And that's why he's treating it differently than he is Twitter. And that's why he's treating it differently than all the fangs are in cutting all their engineers. So true. So true. I love that comment there by Tommy and also to build off what you're saying, Richard, that a lot of new talent is going to join both Tesla, but also Twitter. I think that George Hotz is a great P 
piece of signal and the noise on all this. Regardless of what you think about George Hotz, you have to recognize that he is in an elite level of coder, that very few people on the planet have the level of skill that he has. And he is maybe a difficult person to work with. A lot of times people with that amount of talent are. But the fact that he is interested in going to Twitter and working on this problem, Twitter could not in a million years have paid George Hotz to come work with them. It would never have happened. But what Elon is doing at Twitter is so interesting and so compelling. And the way that he's going about attacking this problem is very interesting to people who know how to get shit done. And they want to do that. And they also want to work on something that's really, really, really important. And they're going to get in there and they're going to put their head down and they're going to do amazing work. And you're going to find out that 10 George Hotzes can outwork 7,000 Twitter employees. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's that. Go ahead, Richard. Please. Yeah, I was going to say, I think he said you could run Twitter with 10 engineers, something like that, something ridiculous. And to me, you know, I don't know anything and I'm not an engineer. But to me, it sounds like, wow, if you have like a very sophisticated AI system and a supercomputer, you could probably run Twitter pretty lean. And, uh, you know, that's the way I, I would see it. Yeah, there. I think there is a big misconception that um, there's somehow a shortage of talent. Uh, it, that is one of the most um, counterintuitive thoughts right now in society because you need a lot less people than you think to get stuff done and and there's no there's no shortage of talent there's a shortage of passion and there's a shortage of companies that inspire people to work their hardest that's the real shortage here and that's why tesla was able to do what it did with as little people as possible if you look at their r d costs um Actually, let me reply to this comment here real quick. Engineers are always in short supply. Musk has been idiotic. He has no idea how to manage after an acquisition. Yeah, so um, I respect the opinion. I think it's going to be, you know, I think all of us here are speculating that indeed uh, he knows very much what he's doing. We don't know if we're going to be right or wrong. But what's what I've seen, what I've observed with my own two eyes is that it's, again, it's not a shortage of people. It's a shortage of passion. When I was at Tesla and we, we had this, you know, this, we were, building this warehouse up, we had a staff of, I don't know, 40 people uh, at one time. And we were doing the work of a warehouse equivalent of like 250. Okay. And that wasn't even with us maximizing the processes. It wasn't with like, it was freaking rocks and paper and scissors equivalent versus these high-tech companies that supposedly have engineers running around, process people running around, HR people running around, parties, team building, blah, blah, blah. Nope. 40 people that were really passionate about what they were doing were, can do so much, can do so much. And individuals have way more in them than they think and they don't know it until they're in that environment, until they're in that environment where they're paired with people that are uh, of similar passion, of similar ability, of, of similar brilliance. And once you have that environment together, you have a compounding effect on talent. And so that's what's missing. And, you know, Meta, Google, uh, 
whatever, P- pick your company in tech. I don't, I don't care who it is. This, this is not the type of culture these companies have. I bet you, they have cultures that are going to be much, much more lumbering, much more um, uh, analogous to, like, say, uh, an Exxon Mobil or a Ford or a GM, right? Because of their size and the fact that you can v- very clearly see by the language that they put out there that they are all about. Well, let's make sure that the that the individual, that the worker, is prioritized. You know, and I'm not saying mental health days are bad or anything. They're very important, but it's very much catered to the comfort or the, of the employee. What it really comes down to, though, is if you really try to build something very important and something that's going to be life changing, all that shit needs to go out the window. You need to you need to gather people that are passionate. You need to gather people that are willing to put their their weight behind what they're doing and stand by the sword and say, I really fucking care about this job and I'm going to get it fucking done. And that's the sort of uh, passion that I think an Elon Musk type person invokes in people. And that's why Tesla is successful. That's why SpaceX is successful. And that's why Twitter is going to be successful. And the steps that Elon's taken in the last week or two is to exactly identify who those people are so that they can go to war together. And that's how this works. That's how you build transformational companies. And it's extremely uncomfortable. And it's kind of unfair to some people, probably yes. But that's why you have a three-month severance package. But you got to keep moving forward, especially if you believe that the mission of the company is so existential, which I believe uh, Elon thinks that. And I think personally, long term, it's probably going to be very important to have a platform that in the ilk of Twitter that's trying to you know, prioritize truth and trying to build a, a place for all of us to sit down together and, and have a conversation before we all kill ourselves. This is very important stuff. And channeling that energy into the, into the workforce is what Elon is extremely good at. And um, yeah, but it's, but it's being done in a very public manner. And I think that's why it's taking a lot of people by surprise. And, you know, I think it's good that some of those other companies like Google and Meta exist, like there should be places where you can go and work. That should be an option on the menu of workplaces that you have, but that's not going to be Twitter anymore. And that's, you know, kind of the thing that we're struggling with is that was what Twitter was. And now that's not what it's going to be. And so if you were working at Twitter and you thought that's what you signed up for, sorry, that's not what Twitter is. Twitter is going in a new direction. It's going to be a new thing. And, you know, to go back to his comment, don't forget, Tesla had 500,000 job applications last year. If you don't think that great engineers who applied to Tesla last year are not going to be interested in applying to Twitter this year as this restructuring progresses, I'm sorry, I don't know what to tell you. That's not how this is going to go down. Elon will have his choice of the talent that he needs to do what he wants to do at Twitter. Exactly right. Three million applicants, by the way. Three million. It's crazy. Um, TJ says, keep in mind that Tesla and SpaceX are the number one and number two in demand company for new engineering grads. They get a ton of resumes. They can pay a bit low for the market and still attract top tiered engineers. Yeah. And they make it up on the backside with stock. And that's how they, I'm a perfect story of this. I took a giant pay cut to go to Tesla um, I was able to negotiate uh, quite a bit of that being made up in stock, which we're very happy to do. And then four years later, boom, you know, it's, it's, this is how it works. This is how attracting really uh, good talent works. Um, by the way, shout out to producer wife. We have producer wife in the background, bringing up these comments and uh, managing the stream, man. It's so much easier for me right now to just be focused on the conversation. And uh, thank you so much, producer wife for, uh, for taking on the load of, of, of this. You're doing a great job so far. Go ahead, Isha. Yeah. We are going to be calling her PM, not PW. 
it's going to be weird otherwise. Okay. But PM is producer ma'am. Okay, producer ma'am. Okay, perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you guys. So, so, uh, I'll call her producer wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so who knows Robert Frost? Uh, name's familiar. Who is that? He's uh, a poet. Uh, personally. No, I mean, who's, who's read Robert Frost? Right? So I pulled up a poem and uh, I would like to read like the last stanza. And sure. uh, the name's uh, Two Tramps in Mud Time. It's about uh, this guy who's, you know, out in his yard, you know, uh, chopping lumber for firewood. And two tramps come in, they say that, hey, you pay us money and we'll uh, uh, chop uh, lumber for you. And this guy's like, no, this is labor of love for me. Uh, the last stanza uh, reads, uh, but yield who will to their separation. My object in, in living is to unite my evocation and my vocation as my two eyes make one sight. And of course, only where there's love and need are one and work is play for mortal sakes. Is the deed ever really done for heaven and for future sakes? So I think this perfectly describes the culture that um, Elon is looking for. Like you love what you do, you bring in that passion, uh, you know, as two eyes make one side, that's uh, that's not what a lot of, I guess, people find in their jobs, right? Of course, I mean, you know, they might love all the, you know, a number of perks. Yeah, I mean, $13 million spent on food in the San Francisco headquarters. Sure, I mean, you know, all that's fine if the company's making money. I mean, I'm not against it, but... Uh, you've got to provide a service that's valuable and make money while doing it. You know? And Elon's right. You can't scale to a billion users and lose money on the way. Everyone's going to go bankrupt. So, yeah, I think it's it's just, uh, at the end of the day, uh, something that a lot of people do not realize. But also, uh, I have a question for uh, this panel. We believe that there are about, what, 300 odd employees left at Twitter. How long uh, before this number goes up to about, let's say, 500, 600? Okay, what's according, what according to you guys is probably, you know, going to be like a steady state employee number over the next, let's say, 12 months? And how long will it take for Elon to raise head come to that level? So do, do we know how many people are working at, at Twitter right now? This might be a good thing for producer wife to look up. Do we know how many how many people are at Twitter today? You said 300, Ishan? No, we've got the number 283 floating around. Yeah, I saw yeah. it last night on Twitter. It was like 283 or 293. Okay. Um, so what is Twitter? Twitter is a software platform. It's a 100% software that's running on servers. Uh, it's run by code. And right now what it's doing, it's, it's ensuring that uh, people can share written words and some form of media between each other globally. So you need servers and you need coders to make sure that the platform doesn't uh, collapse. And you need people that are uh, putting in work to ensure that, say, things that are illegal things that are against the terms of service are being up upheld. And the question becomes how much of that work needs to be done by humans and how much of that work can be has to be done by software. 
my gut tells me that the software side of the business probably wasn't built out as much as it should have to do a lot of that, say, moderation work. Uh, it's likely that in the last week or so, two weeks since Elon took over, there has been some leaps and bounds made with the uh, talent that was brought over from, from Tesla, you know, the FSD team to write some code to say maybe take care of the biggest 80 to 90% with some sort of clever algorithm. Um, it's kind of impossible to say how many people you probably need at, at Twitter, but you definitely don't need 7,000. You definitely don't need 10,000 because it's it's proof. <laughs> it's proof. Twitter had what? Uh, 10,000, close to 10,000 people before Elon took it over. Now it's got a fraction of that, maybe a tenth of that. And the platform's still running. My experience has never been better. It's so, last night was the funnest time I've ever had on Twitter. It was a complete shit show of people melting down and there was conversation happening everywhere. I didn't encounter one spam bot. I didn't encounter anything that was negative and the platform worked perfectly. So I'm like, okay, so you don't need 7,000 people. Um, my guess is probably somewhere between, for, for Twitter to work at an optimal level, I'm just spitballing here, probably between 500 to 1,000. And then to get it to the next uh, level, I don't know, um, maybe a little over 1,000 because it is software. After all, it's not hardware. It is software. So scaling software is much easier. What do you think, Hans? Um, I think it, actually in the near term, it does need more than that, but I don't know for how long. And I'm just basing that off of FSD that the core engineering team for FSD was like 150 people, I think is what um, Andre said. And if I remember correctly, I could be way off on this number, but I thought the highest that the auto labeling team got to was like 1500. And I think they're going to be in a phase right now where they do need a lot of people in an auto-labeling type role for a season. Um, so I could see their total need being, you know, maybe two to three thousand dollars, or sorry, two to three thousand employees for, you know, inside of that twelve-month window. I don't know that it extends super far beyond that, um, but we'll see. Yeah, I was saying? going to say is he cut he cut immediately like the 3500 to 3750 and so I figured probably another half below that so in my mind even though I'm this is pure guessing I have no idea and they probably have no idea until they kind of have a full grasp of what they have but I'm guessing like between 1 and 2000 that would be sufficient to do the job in the current time frame um, but I kind of wanted to talk about one point before because I saw it on the comments and to me, it's kind of a practical point. I, you know, most of the fang companies are on the West Coast. The West Coast obviously has a reputation of being a liberal location. And, you know, I myself am a moderate socialist, so I'm not on the left side of things. But uh, that was a joke, by the way. Um, <laughs> but um, I think, you know, whereas, uh, I saw in the comments that people were thinking that because people were of a particular uh, ilk in their political views, that they wouldn't be checking out for a job. And I think that commentary really does not appreciate the fact that when people need to eat, they are very motivated. And somebody who is working today, but six months from now, is in the hole and their house is in foreclosure, uh, their political views will be much less important to them at that point in time. Salvaging their family and their existence will be their main focus. So 
it's easy to say, you know, how, what motivates people in great times when they don't have pressure. But when people are under pressure, they're much more willing to expand what their horizons are. So I just saw that and I kind of wanted to speak back, back at that. Uh, and, you know, the bottom line is Tesla started in California. So Elon must have, Elon moved Tesla because the, Cal, the government in California, the regulatory setup, the taxes, and I could relate very well to that. But he felt there was talent here and the setup was at least good enough to start Tesla and move it forward. So um, there is a ton of talent on the West Coast and it's available and it will be available for Twitter, for Tesla and for all all type of companies. Got it, Sean. Who thinks um, Elon might at some point in time move Twitter to Austin? Probably. Probably. It makes sense because, you know, the, the land out here is way cheaper. Real estate costs are way cheaper. No income tax. Um, it's a booming town. It's uh, it's central. So if people need to travel, it makes it much easier. A lot of high talented people are flocking to this area. It's right next to the Tesla warehouse uh, factory. It's not that far away from SpaceX. So talent share could happen there. Uh, it makes a lot of sense to move that. And, and it's much more... Um, it's it's a it's more diverse, uh, I would say. It's a little bit more diverse around here than it is uh, where where that company is. And I think if you're in the social media game, and you're really trying to make a platform that's truly maximally that's trying to maximize uh, everyone's experience, you need balance. And I'm not saying Austin is this cradle of like balance. It's not. It's quite it's <laughs> quite a bit left leaning. But uh, the vibe out here that I felt is like, it's cool, man. Just come out and hang out. You know, I believe what I believe. You can believe what you believe. That's cool. Let's have some barbecue. You know, it's, it's a very inclusive, open vibe. And I think that type of person is underrated in this day and age, <laughs> especially for a company that's going to be at the forefront of moving conversation forward. So a lot of things are lining up for it, and, and not not to you know not to say that the the Twitter headquarters at at at, at San Francisco is probably um, optimized for like over a thousand people, and if you only have three hundred people, you need to close that sucker down tomorrow, <laughs> you know, because you boy are you wasting money right now. Um, yeah, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts around that, but that's that's kind of where my head has gone. Yeah, I was gonna say you know the thing I I worry about Austin is the same thing that happened to Silicon Valley. So what happens is, mm. and it already happened, I, and I'm not, I have not been to Austin in the past 10 years, but so this is all what I've heard. But I know the real estate values went up dramatically after Tesla announced their move. Yes. And, and in Silicon Valley, that's exactly what happened. San Jose, in my opinion, I think it's a shithole, in my opinion. I don't, I'm not a big fan of San Jose, but it's like one of the most expensive uh, housing costs in the United States. And it's because everybody piled in from everywhere. And I know, and it's there's a reason why people are moving to Austin, besides the low tax, you know, the low tax base. But it, it's kind of like a self-fulfilling uh, concept here. People go there because it's inviting. But too many people will go there, so the cost of living will become exorbitant. And you'll end up kind of the same boat. So I would hope that Tesla has a little more foresight. And the thing that I would like to see Tesla do is build housing for their employees. So mm. if they would, you know, 
all because there's plenty of land available, but there's no builders building right now because of interest rates, et cetera. But there's a shortage of housing. But if you build housing, it would keep housing costs low. You could subsidize. That could be part of your package. You come to Tesla, they give you a, some discount off the cost of housing and plus the stock. Um, but that might alleviate in part the problem that you're going to encounter where you're going to have this increasing spiral where you're going to price out everybody and you're going to kind of end up in the same economic boat. Yeah. Good on. I think as long as the government stays out of the way of companies like New Community and Boxable that we'll get a solution to that and Tesla won't necessarily have to lift a finger. It's true. It's a good point. Yeah, no, so uh, one thing about Austin that I think is different uh, when we compare it to Silicon Valley is uh, the kind of uh, jobs that are coming up in Austin. Like I see a healthy mix uh, of both blue collar and white collar jobs. And Farza, please connect me if I'm wrong. But it's true. Um, with Silicon Valley, it was all, uh, you know, uh, white collar jobs, software, tech, high tech companies, uh, 80% gross margins, able to pay, you know, exorbitant money to attract the top talent, etc. Whereas, whereas in Austin, we see that there's a balance. So I don't know how much of an impact it will have, but it will definitely have a bit of a stabilizing impact, I believe, uh, when there's like this, you know, it's a manufacturing hub, we've got those workers, it's also a tech hub, we've got those workers. Um, and I think the big opportunity here is to actually get people move from SF to uh, not just Austin, you know, it could be uh, close by, it could be, I guess, um, what are the towns close by? You've got college, what's it? In uh, Texas? You've got Texas A&M. Uh, Texas yeah, Texas A&M, you got uh, Texas Tech, you got a bunch of schools out here. You got what the are the Longhorns. couple of towns clo close by within a 40 minute drive, right? So They're farther away. They're quite a bit farther uh -huh. away, okay. but it's like, I mean, Texas is a gigantic state, but there, there's a huge, there's a huge amount of people that there's like five or six top tier colleges in like the same area, but you still got to yeah. drive like four or five hours. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. But anyway, so, uh, the thing is, a, it doesn't have to be that concentrated. Silicon Valley, the entire West coast, the amount of space, like physical land is a lot smaller, uh, compared to, you know, the sprawl that we can have in Texas, uh, the kind of jobs that we have a lot more uh, widespread than what was in Silicon Valley. So hopefully that self-fulfilling prophecy, as you called it, is going to have like a longer iteration. It will take longer to play out than it did over there. That's It's interesting you say that, though, because I think California like does have a lot of land. It does have quite a bit of land. It's... it's uh, it's the what the second largest state by third largest by is it, yeah by I think Alaska Texas and then California so but it's it's a taxes it's a taxes and it's the business culture that's preventing that type of variety there having a, a manufacturer plan in California versus like you would be, have to be an idiot to have a manufacturing plan in Texas when you have places like Arizona and Texas and Oklahoma and Georgia and you know all these other quote florida these very business friendly states that offer you a lot of incentives but that's a really interesting point you make that the combination of blue collar and white collar uh in uh in say in a texas is going to hopefully 
uh, delay or eliminate the <laughs> human condition of everybody come to this place and let's just fuck it up, <laughs> you know? And of course, I'm not, I'm not saying, hey, California is about, I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. Actually, California is one of the most beautiful places I've ever been to. And, and I actually do like California quite a bit, but it is not a friendly state for businesses. And that's just a fact. And, and it's, it's true. That's why you have a lot of people leaving that state. Um, any, go ahead, Richard. Yeah, Farzad, I'm sorry you hate California, but that's- I've never said that. Come I, on I, now. I, I know, I know. Um, <laughs> I, I was going to say, I think it's purely regulatory and tax because um, California has the best uh, university system in the world. The UC system in California is the best public university system in the world by far. UCLA is rated the number one public university in the United States and Berkeley is in top, you know, top couple. So yep. it, the other thing is you, everybody focuses on Silicon Valley, but that's not California. So California is kind of goes, if you go to the east of the state inland, it's a red state. If you go to the south, it's a red state. If you go to the north, it's a blue state. So the population centers, you know, L.A. and San Francisco are blue, but San Diego, uh, Orange County uh, are red. So it's kind of a mix. So it, the, the business situ is situated in the Silicon Valley, but there's plenty of space. So I think I agree with Farzad. I don't think it's space. And I, and I definitely agree it's just a business environment. And I think, you know, California's got cocky. Uh, you know, for a long time, people would just come and they would do whatever it took. They would spend whatever it cost. And uh, eventually, you know, especially when times get tight. You know, again, you know, everybody was making tons of money and the economy was great. We wouldn't be having these discussions, I believe. But when things are tight and you need to cut margins, then it's it is important. And if you have to pay more in California and it's a pain in the ass to do business here, that's a good reason to get the hell out of here. That's fair. Go ahead, Hans. It's also important to recognize, like, what is it that you need? One of the things that Silicon Valley really has going for it is just the culture of innovation. Like, if you are going to do a startup, like, you can go other places, but there's a lot of benefits to being in Silicon Valley for that specifically. But Twitter's not a startup. And so the needs for talent might necessarily outweigh, you know, Elon's not looking to raise a bunch of capital. And that's one of the things that you would definitely want to be in Silicon Valley for. There's going to be a lot more capital density right there than there will be in a lot of other places, but that's not what he needs. And so, yeah, it, it opens up the realm of possibilities when you think about the fact that what he needs to make Twitter successful moving forward may not be the same thing that has made other tech companies successful in the past. Yeah, that's very, very true. Um, Ishan, I think you have to uh, head out here. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun. I think uh, it's a pity can't do this more often. But uh, yeah, I'll uh, catch you on the next stream. Thank you for stopping in, man. Yes. Appreciate you. And I'll try to, uh, take care goodness. to everybody in the chat. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Hit the like button. Live long and yeah. prosper. Yeah, live long and prosper. Thank yes. you, man. Thank you, brother. Um, yeah, it's it's a, it's a fascinating point you make there, Hans. The the transfer, how this is going to uh, sort of unravel and uh, and develop here in the next six to twelve months. I I truly do believe that it's a. Um, oh, hello, 
producer wife. Nice. Uh, it's a, uh, it's going to be a very telling thing for other business leaders to start making decisions on how to run their businesses. You know, you have an environment for the next six 12 to 12 months, like Borghan has sort of alluded to that. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be a, a weird situation where, you know, I'm, I'm more convinced than ever that uh, 2023 is probably going to be pretty rough for, for a lot of people, a lot of companies because of where the economy seems to be headed. And the actions that are being taken here by Elon and Twitter could be the signal for other business leaders that say, uh, crap, I sh we should probably think about doing something similar because the survival of our company is going to be the most important in the future. But that could cause some sort of like, a, you know, uh, uh, a slippery slope of mass, mass layoffs <laughs> in, in hopes that they're, you know, emulating their company to be more closely tied to what Elon's doing at Twitter. But um, yeah, man, I, how do you guys think how do you guys think this is uh, impacting the Tesla story today? I know that's a lot of the questions that I get on my DMs and on Twitter and Tesla. And a lot of concern is, you know, I'm, I'm concerned about the Tesla story. I'm concerned about what's going on with Twitter. How do you guys think about that? I'm, I'm curious to propose that question. Or if you want to sort of expand on the previous point, too, that's fine. But um, what's going through your mind there? I'll just steal man the case for, you know, I don't know which way this is going to go. And this is not necessarily something that I predict, but this is just one counterthought process. A lot of people are saying, hey, Tesla's demand could be significantly impacted by the drama going on at Twitter. And a lot of people who have bought Teslas in the past may not agree with what Elon is doing and how he's going about things, and they won't buy Teslas in the future. And that's a huge part of their base, their customer base. And so that's going to have, you know, large cascading negative effects on the company. The opposite side of that argument is Tesla's had a very niche audience up to this point. And it's been primarily left-leaning people who believe in climate change. They believe in the importance of transitioning the world to sustainable energy. And I agree with those things. Um, but there's a lot of the population that thinks all that is pretty crap and they're not interested in any of those talking points, but a large portion of those people actually have felt somewhat suppressed on social media and their ability to share their views. They believe in free speech and they're excited about what Elon is potentially going to do with Twitter. And so it's kind of a possible, like, ah, uh, shoot, I can't, is it Bayesian math? Like predictions where you are overestimating the impact of a small or of a large factor in a small amount of people versus mm -hmm. a small uh a small factor in a large population of people so like if you ran into someone on a college campus who was nerdy and look down at their shoes and they had a hard time interacting with you, what's the likelihood that they're an engineer versus, you know, like a, a humanities student? Well, in most college campuses, the engineering students are a very small minority of the overall students, whereas the humanities make up a large portion. So you might think, hey, obviously nerdy type person looking down at their shoes, not comfortable interacting with people, probably an engineer actually statistically in all likelihood it's a humanities student who's just one of the very few humanities students who's 
has those characteristics and qualities because there's just so many more humanity students than there are engineering students. And so there's a very real possibility here in this situation that the market share that Tesla is opening up for their customers is significantly larger than the market share that maybe they're alienating because of Elon's actions at Twitter. So, yeah, I agree with that 100%. Go ahead, Richard. Yeah, I was going to say, so my advice would be don't sell your stock now. Uh, you know, <laughs> if you, if you, uh, unless you're absolutely stuck, don't sell your, your, sell your stock. And obviously, you know, again, financial I, advice. Yeah, that's not, <laughs> no, definitely not fin financial or legal advice. Um, I was going to say is I believe that what happens is, again, we're in a crappy time. So everybody's, everybody's going to kind of focus on the negative. It's just, that's just human nature. But what will happen is two years from now, you know, actually, let me back up. We forget Tesla's stock price was at 414 or 412 at one point. It actually was 1200, you know, it was pre pre split. Mm -hmm. And when that was the case, we all loved Tesla. We loved everything and everything was great. And the company was going to go, the stock was going to go to 4,000. I think uh, Warren Redlick thought it was going to go to 50,000 a share next week. But when the, when the reverse is true, the reverse is true. We think it's in the shitter. It's, it can only go down. And we live in the moment. And most of us are long term. So all this is irrelevant. It's very stressful, but it's irrelevant. And I believe like two years from now, OK, in the current time frame, do I think it impacts Tesla demand? Yes, I do. But we're selling all the cars we can produce. So whatever. Um, will a recession hurt demand? Yes, I believe it will, uh, or it will limit growth, one or the other. But two years from now, nobody's going to remember what happened in Twitter. And uh, if you need an electric car and Tesla is producing the best product, you're going to go buy the Tesla. And we're going to be talking about a stock price that's different than 170, whatever it is today, some ridiculous stock price, and it'll follow. It'll follow the business. Now it's following the macro. And, you know, we're like, we're on a, we're supercharged right now. We're supercharged negative just because Elon's just a, a magnet for that. So when it's negative, it's negative. But the flip side will be true also. When it's positive, he will be a magnet for the positive and everybody will be rushing in and we'll get the benefit of that too. So well put. So well put. I, I jokingly said on Twitter that this whole thing that's going on with the freedom of speech thing and being, you know, uh, bringing voices forward and vote conservative for the House for balance. I'm like jokingly, but I don't know. Could it be the marketing campaign for the Cybertruck? <laughs> you know, like just like, huh, I wonder if this is like a 4D chess move to like, you know, hype the thing up coming up next year. But you make such a good point. The other thing, too, that that's really curious about this is like the work that's being done today, like with Twitter, but also with Tesla that was done not too long ago. Remember, Tesla had layoffs. Uh, what was it like four or six months ago? It feels like a lifetime ago. But there were some pretty um, big, quote unquote, moves that were made. It was five percent of the, I think, salary workforce or 10 percent of the salary workforce that was let go, which is, again, a very usual thing that companies do to ensure that the company culture is healthy that was big news you know people are worried oh my god is tesla going to lose demand q3 was posted a record quarter q4 is going to be posted here shortly 
probably going to be much bigger than Q, definitely going to be much bigger than Q3. So the growth continues moving forward. The work that's being done with Twitter right now is to set it up for the future. It just so happens that Twitter has been run in a very different manner. And now it's actually being right-sized to what's needed. So all these like difficult steps, all these difficult moves are being made now so that what Richard has just described actually happens in the next you know one to two years time. This is what needs to happen. And then into, into next year, you have Cybertruck coming out. You have Model Y probably going to be the best-selling vehicle by volume in the world. You have full self-driving starting to take the streets. You have the bot starting to move around and being used maybe internally in some respects. Maybe it will take longer. But, you know, and now you're going to have Twitter, which my gut tells me is going to be one of the best social media platforms on, on the planet because of how much improvement it's going to have here due to that right size workforce. You're now going to have a platform where... People are going to be like, holy crap, Elon Musk knows what he's doing. He He's created this thing that's incredibly fun. And everybody's going to feel that. Everybody's going to touch that. Everybody's going to see that. And they'll be like, wow. So, you know, because everybody has internet access. Everybody can afford Twitter. No, not everybody can afford Tesla. So imagine the, the strengthening that does for the Elon Musk brand, you know, and while he's shooting this... It, giant fat skyscraper into the into space and bringing it back in starship like this is insane the personal brand for this individual is completely bananas and of course does he say things that sometimes piss me off yes is he sometimes very erratic in in how he approaches certain social issues yes but is he also a brilliant entrepreneur yes does he know how to build businesses yes does he know how to market his brand Yes. Does he know how to grow companies? Yes. So it's like, <laughs> um, it's so easy to get lost in the weeds. And you know, now that I have a YouTube channel, it's I, I find myself in the weeds because me talking about the weeds, it's what hopefully brings value to people, you know, listening and following the story. But what you just said resonates so much with me, uh, Richard. Let me go ahead and, uh, and read Anders' comments here. Um, Musk is playing for the chess, it looks like, all the way from trolling to serious messages so opponents become really confused. Haha. <laughs> yeah, they're like, oh my God, this guy's losing his mind. Um, yeah, any any thoughts around that uh, that we just described there, Richard or Hans? Any, any yeah, going I was going to say that you left off the semi. So the semi is also oh, yeah. the 2023. And that's going to be significant revenue in 2023. It's not going to be insignificant. I also saw last night... Um, that, um, and I don't know if this is true, but there's some reference to 30 um, Cybertrucks manually being constructed and being delivered before the end of the year. I saw it somewhere last night. I don't know if it was, you know, true or not. What I was going to say, the thing that, uh, that I was amazed by was this week, Charlie Munger coming out and mm -hmm. saying that Tesla being able to, you know, produce vehicles was a minor miracle. That's a conservative guy. He was, you know, that's about as nice as those guys have ever been to Elon. That was a very, you know, a, a, I thought that was a really nice comment myself. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I definitely want to highlight the semi. I've been thinking about this since we had the episode where we did a model on that. And what I realized today that we didn't talk about, and I don't know why it slipped my mind, was that we just drastically underestimated the TAM for the semi. Using today's number of units sold is ridiculously stupid. If they're able to reach autonomy, like if we are modeling in that FSD is a thing, then our model is completely wrong. Like it either is a thing or it's not a thing. If it's a thing, then the cost of transporting freight over land 
by truck falls dramatically to a cost that's less than rail. And the demand, like the elasticity of demand drives the number of units of semis that you need just absolutely astronomically insane to a point where not only does it make sense to make huge investments in fleets of semis, but it makes sense to make huge investments in the actual road infrastructure so that we can handle transporting significantly more freight over land. And so, yeah, we just can't underestimate the impact that a fully autonomous, now it has to be regulatory approved. Um, and regardless of whether that's platooning or not, like if you have one driver for 10 or 15 semis, that's not that much different than having 15 autonomous semis. So if you assume that you can platoon, basically demand is unlimited. And the impact that that has on, I mean, so many of the goods that we buy, a huge portion of their cost is just transport. Very true. If you drop the transport cost portion of those goods 10 times what it is today, then that is a huge deflationary force in the overall economy. And I didn't say anything about bot. Very true. And, Very and true. I was going to say is that, and I've heard, you know, that, that the semi on a straight freeway is much easier to operate than in a, you know, a city. And that even if you weren't all the way at level four or five FSD, you could basically have, you know, uh, drivers at off ramps after a long drive, they would then take over the drive from the freeway to the delivery center. Or, although I Hans said I shouldn't say this, or maybe a bot will be the last driver, the last uh, few mile driver, uh, or maybe they'll be in the vehicle the entire way. FSD vans. You know, something something along those lines. The bot moves the, the product. There was another thing, too, with the semi specifically that I forget who said this, if it was on one of the panels or if it was something I read. But think about the addressable market of the semi for non-traditional means and how it can transform the economy. So it's the semi, if you really think about it, it's a giant power generator on wheels. It has one terawatt hour of uh, of energy, probably with the battery. That's a lot of freaking power. So now you have this giant generator on wheels that you can drive to wherever you want that can provide power probably for days on end for whatever you're trying to do. If it's a campsite, if it's a concert, I don't know what that like. Like, think about all the different you know use cases for this thing. Whereas now, if you're trying to do something remote where you need power, you have to lug this diesel generator over. You have to figure out how to bring lines into there and run it. Uh, you're going to have very limited limited capabilities. Now you literally have a power supply on wheels. So forget about just transporting goods from one end to another. That's yet another addressable market that's like that probably exists, but just nothing has been created to be able to leverage that sort of technology. Good Hans. Yeah, I just don't know on that front for the specific reason that you also have to take into account the opportunity cost of not operating that truck as a truck. And so it would have to be a pretty high value operation to switch it over to that. In which case, why are you not using just a trailer, like a battery trailer? Yeah. Specifically for that. So like you can have a mobile power unit that's just a, a mega pack sitting on a trailer. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's more like uh, I'm thinking more when there's a surplus of of semis where the uh, opportunity cost is sort of 
level with the benefits you would get from a, a use case like that? Or maybe something arises where the use case for that ba- power supply on wheels outweighs sort of the the cost benefit of having a, uh, you know, uh, trans- you know, stuff being lugged around. But that, your, your point is very valid. Um, well, so, so what might, we're, it also ahead. might be the case where um, like things that are delivered by air now may not be delivered by air. If there's no urgency in getting somewhere, something somewhere and you have the time and it's much cheaper by truck, then I'd send it by truck than by than by air. So maybe you'll have a conversion of some industries losing capacity and transferring capacity you know and i mean i'm, I'm making up uh, uh, furniture or something like that where there's no it's not produce or meat or something like that that can sit for a while but if it's significantly less cheaper and it's still reliable then i go for the more the reliable cheaper method what's interesting about air is that it's it's not only just a immediate sort of uh uh, a logistical solution to get stuff somewhere quicker. It's also, especially in times of high seasonality, it's the only option you have. <laughs> so it also becomes like, hey, we literally don't have enough trailers to ship stuff around. We need to get this. Uh, we need to get this in air because there's literally no other option. And that's part of the reason why uh, Q4 typically for uh, companies that ship stuff, which is a lot of companies, it's a freaking disaster. It's a complete disaster. So then that becomes more a function of how can we increase the supply of containers and and trucks to lag to lug that stuff around. And I and I I envision Tesla probably is going to do something with that, where they're going to figure out how to um, somehow tie the increase in trailers to the semis as well, because that's one of the limiting factors during a lot of these times. Is like there's literally not enough trailers, and the more we go into the digital world, and the more Amazon stuff, you know the more stuff Amazon ships and the more cars Tesla ships and the more physical things get thrown around in, in sort of this internet world, then we're going to ha- need a higher need of that sort of solution. Go ahead, Hans. I was just going to say, you sound like someone who speaks from experience. A few uh, battle scars on Q4 shipping. <laughs> a little bit. It's uh, I will never forget those days. Go ahead, Richard. <laughs> I was going to say, maybe that's where the EV toll business comes in also. Maybe the electric, um, some of the electric vehicles that are flying will be carriers, you know, tra- transporting goods and goods, uh, mail, uh, you know, whatever. Maybe that'll be an alternative way of uh, transport. I know we yeah. talked about EV toll many times without talking about it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Go ahead, Hans. It's a little ways off still, but I'm excited to see that come into fruition. Yeah. Likewise, um, what other topics are in your mind? And maybe uh, uh, producer wife, if you want to start pulling in some comments, if anybody have any questions or sort of uh, things that they're pondering, we can discuss those as well. But what what do you guys have in mind uh, as far as topic score, something you want to hit? Yeah, I wanted to, because I saw it come up and I know it was discussed this past week. So I kind of wanted to give a little, uh, kind of put it in relevant context. You know, there were Elon was testifying at trial. And if you remember, when we were talking about the Twitter, uh, the Twitter lawsuit, I said that there was another lawsuit that was pending in front of the same judge brought by an investor. That's this lawsuit. And I know people were wondering why some guy with nine shares could Mm. tie up everybody. So there's kind of like two different types of lawsuits when when a corporation is is sued for alleged misfeasance by the board. One is a derivative lawsuit, which this one is, 
where someone who has an interest in the company is suing on behalf of the company and the results will come back to the company. The alternative for that is like a class action shareholders lawsuit where each shareholder will get some you know, benefit if they win, usually like a 25 cent off discount coupon at Carl's Jr. Um, but the problem with these kind of lawsuits is that basically they are lawyer lawsuits. So for example, the existing lawsuit that's going on in Delaware, the claim is for $56 billion. It's basically a claim that when uh, Elon's compensation package was put together, the board didn't really do a good job of uh, monitoring it and gave him too much. So they're asking that he disgorge that entire sum, which is $56 billion. If that were to occur, that would mean that Elon would have to transfer $56 billion worth of stock back to the company, which would not be like a pleasant day for him. But the flip side of that is so that all the shareholders would theoretically benefit, but the lawyers would get somewhere on the order of 15 to 25% of that <laughs> sum. So, you know, $56 billion. If you hit one of those, you can have a nice vacation at least. And, and for a, a law firm, it's worth taking a, you know, taking a chance. So I believe that the Delaware court, and, and so what happened is all these compensation agreements became popular. So it's not just Tesla. There's a bunch of CEOs that have compensation agreements that give a high payout for performance. And the court in unless there's something that's crazy the court in delaware will be of the mind i believe you know if i rule against elon here i'm going to have a shitload of more lawsuits by other companies in similar setups so i would believe unless there's some crazy misconduct that this lawsuit will go by the wayside and will be done and and i know when people see that tesla has been sued it causes anxiety for everybody, but everybody should know that all businesses get sued constantly. They're not going to terminate the business. There's usually insurance that covers at least part of it or part of the expense, and they don't have the impact that people try to give them. So I see constantly anti-Tesla and I see, you know, reports of everything, and it's obviously designed to lower the stock price. But people should feel rest assured that there's not that that risk that is kind of suggested and um, try to relax about it. Last year, as end of the, the 2021, there were 1,200 lawsuits against Tesla. Uh, I, none of them are going to end the business. They've already uh, they've already set aside reserves to deal with all that stuff. And to the extent you see it in the future, just try to relax over it. Great insight. It, you should almost uh, start a, a a YouTube channel or something talking about this stuff. What do you think? What do you think, Borghan? Do you think that's a good idea? Perhaps. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, go ahead. Go ahead, Hans. I just had a question on, like, is there anything that can be done to create a little bit more friction in the system for the people that are pursuing these lawsuits somewhat frivolously? Like, if all the shareholders voted in approval of this compensation plan and he met all his performance things like it seems like there should be a way for us to put a check on that yeah unfortunately in, in 
the United States, unlike England, for example, in England, loser pays legal fees. So that really discourages people from kind of just taking a flyer. In the United States, uh, it has to be like, when I say frivolous, it's so beyond what you would think is frivolous to, to entitle you to legal fees. It really has to be just ridiculous. And this, which you would deem ridiculous, unfortunately, is not. And so they, I know they tried to get it dismissed. Uh, they filed a motion to dismiss. But basically, if you have a he said, she said, that'll make it to trial. If you have a claim, even if you're going to lose, if it's a he said and she said, then you're going to make it all the way and, it, and you're going to burn a lot of money. And But I know like in this particular case, I know Tesla has insurance and I know the legal fees are being paid by insurance. So. Got it. Is this, uh, I'm guessing this is just par for the course for large companies that uh, attract a lot of attention, especially in the States. This is uh, to be expected, I'm guessing. And because I, I, I can't remember what company it was. I can't remember if it was, it was Apple or whoever, but I was like, wow, I can't believe how many lawsuits there are against this company. Like back in the day, I'm thinking like five, 10 years ago. And I'm like, what's going on here? And then somebody told me, like, yeah, that's just what happens when you get big. Everybody, you just get sued because you just get sued. That's, that's how the game works. Um, so I'm guessing this will continue into the future, right? Borghan, and it's just part of the yeah. course here. Yeah, this is, yeah. And, you know, they, they've, they've budget for it. So it's just like a cost of doing business. Yeah. And yeah, it's unfortunate, but it, it is the way it is. So all of us should become lawyers is what you're telling us, just like you. No, none of us should become lawyers. <laughs> um, no, that's very helpful. Uh, producer wife, can you bring up the uh, the poll results here that, that we had uh, earlier? So we as we were talking about the the Twitter culture and the different things that we were doing, um, Oh, already did brought up the, the results. Yeah, can you can you do it again? Uh, can you bring it up again? I may have missed it. Uh, for those that just joined us, uh, usually our, our community forums here are uh, driven by me and also I'm part of the conversation, but we have a, a producer in the background running the show uh, who happens to be my wife. We call her producer wife because that's what she is. And uh, we, did, we ran a poll earlier today that we wanted to gauge the interest on if people would still consider a Tesla buying a Tesla, given all the craziness that's happening about around Twitter, one of the concerns was there was going to be a um, a drop off in sales because of how Elon's behaving. It, may, it might alienate part of the of say the left or the people that would traditionally be interested in Teslas. Uh, and then moving forward, you know, potentially we could have a, a, a dip in demand. And one of the polls we put out there was, "Are you still considering buying a Tesla to this crowd?" Because this crowd. I'm assuming is quite pro Tesla and quite pro Elon and what he's doing. So um, if we're able to bring up the poll, uh, let's see. Okay. Sorry. Can't figure out how to pull up old polls. Okay. No problem. I think it was uh 96% yes or something. So uh, if we're able to pull that up at some point, we'll do it, but uh, it's all good. Um, Hans, what, what do you have in mind? What would you like to, uh, to hit here for the last uh, say 15, 20 minutes? Put you on the spot, bro. No, by the way, nice shirt. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Very nice. The robots are coming. The robots are coming. It's true. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I don't really have anything else that we haven't touched on. I think these are the big things. Obviously, there are rabbit trails that we could chase, but I don't know what else is really relevant for today. Maybe we'll do a, a little bit of Q and A, and then we'll wrap it up. How does that sound? Yeah. 
So uh, if you have a question, type question and drop down your comment in the comment section below. Uh, producer wife will go ahead and pull up only the best comments. Only the best comments. Uh, here we go. Lufti, channel member. Thank you very much, Lufti. Uh, do you think Twitter is interesting enough so that top talent wants to work there? Like Tesla, SpaceX are on top of the list for university students. I 100% I think that's the case. Um, if there's one thing Elon does really, really well is attract top talent. He's an absolute magnet for it. We talked about it quite a bit at the beginning of, let's say, the first 45 minutes of the stream. So I think the only thing that's going to hold it back from uh, being, say, in the top list in the next year or so is because of all the controversy. But by, say, the second or third year, I would not be surprised if Twitter is a top talent for engineers. Um, Hans gave it the example of if, if George Hotz is going to Twitter. If he's interviewing for Twitter today, you know only the best of the best want to go there. So uh, what do you guys think? Yep, 100% agree. Richard, any thoughts there? Yeah, uh, if they like Tesla and SpaceX, they'll like Twitter. You know, that'd be the same mindset. If it if it intrigues you there, it'll intrigue you. You know, the, the you know the work will intrigue you. Perfect. Agreed. And we've seen some VCs, like very high-level operators within Silicon Valley, really believe in Elon and what he's doing, and they are committing resources to help, not only in their investments, but they also have incredible networks of people. Very true. Uh, next question. Thoughts on Lucid Air, supposedly cheaper with longer range. Um, I don't know if it's cheaper. Is it cheaper? It's by far more expensive. Uh, they. Uh, this is where I I I, did, I held my tongue when Sandy was speaking. I. This is my opinion. Uh, I think Peter Rawlinson is uh, less than transparent. That was being really generous. Uh, Lucid Air is a basically a company that's controlled by Saudi Arabia. Uh, they they funded the existence of it. They're going to build a factory in Saudi Arabia. The next factory is going to be in Saudi Arabia. They have an obligation to deliver 100,000 units or up to 100,000 units to the Saudis. And right now they delivered last quarter, I think, 1,300 cars. So the problem with Lucid, besides their being expensive in a recession, and it's going to be tough on sales, they don't have a lot of cash. So in their last earnings call, um, they indicate 2023 they have cash through 2023 we're already in 2023 um they think they might be able to borrow money but then if it's a recession comes is it going to be easy to borrow money in a recession maybe not i happen to think that lucid is in trouble myself i think the product's good um the software sucks but the car design itself is really nice they really spend a lot of time meticulous meticulously putting together but the software sucks and they don't know how to manufacture. Rawlinson's an ex-Tesla uh, guy. Um, and when he's, I've heard him on earnings calls, when he's questioned, he stammers a lot, like he's uncomfortable. So that's that's my view of Lucid. Hans, any yep. thoughts? Prototypes are easy, production is hard. We're at a place right now where we're essentially just getting past the point of producing prototypes. like. Richard said, it's a beautiful car. I hope that they're successful. Um, but yeah, the hardest part lays ahead. And if we're heading into recession, man, that is not 
a place that I would want to be. So I, I would personally stay far, far away from investing anything anywhere near Lucid. I know that the, the know. margins. I'm sorry. I was just going to bring up Rob's point. Like margins are huge on this. They're they're not getting close to any type of volume to where they can support margins that will sustain this company. So even if the product's great and the margin is awful, that's not a company that has a future. It may be a great car, but it's not a company with a future. Go ahead, uh, Richard. Yeah, and I was going to say the flip side of that is that, and we, we and I'm, this is kind of response to, I guess, Sandy also said about the Chinese companies. The flip side of the Chinese companies is they're kind of, especially like NEO, for example. So the Chinese government has basically protected NEO. They've insulated them. But that means that they're also going to, you know, my feeling is at some point in time, if they want margins less, if they want cars delivered for a discount to the government. So I think the Chinese are certainly a competitive, but economically their margins are going to be terrible. They're not going to yeah. be like anywhere near uh, Tesla's margins. So where, where my head goes with Lucid is, so as producer wife has this up here, Air Pure starts at 87.4. Um, and I don't know if that includes the sort of tax credits and stuff, but 87.4 is cheaper, I believe. And I don't know if you can do this at the same time there, uh, PW, but if you can do <laughs> shorthand now, PW, if you can pull up the Model S, which would be a, a comparative car here, um, that I think starts at like 105. So from the most uh, lowest trim level, the Lucid is cheaper, but this car is not out, out, out yet. And it's probably not going to be out for another couple of years. So... Uh, let's also not forget that Tesla does offer much cheaper cars as well. So the Model 3, I think, in the States starts at like 47. The Model Y starts at 62. You're not going to have the same level of luxury, but you can definitely buy a Tesla that's much cheaper. I actually think Lucid has a future. I, I think it, it has a future because uh, the segment that it's in, if you click on purchase price there at the top, um, purchase price at the top there, yeah, 104. So the base model uh, Model S is 104. The base model Lucid Air is not 84, I think it was. But again, this car you can buy, and the other one you can't. And the specs of this one are well beyond the uh, the Lucid Air um, base, I believe. I think the Model S base is quicker, about the same range, but you also have much better software. You have a supercharger network, so on and so forth. So. Um, but I do think Lucid has, has a future because as gas cars go out of favor and electric cars become much more sort of um, wanted, the electric drivetrain is much more conducive to the luxury experience. So your S-Class buyers, your BMW 7 Series buyers, your uh, Lexus uh, sort of the big body buyers and all these people uh, I think Lucid will be able to take market share from them. Now, the question becomes, are they going to be profitable, like as profitable as those companies are today? Or will they have the scale to, say, make 100,000 cars per year? I don't think so. But they're going to be very niche and there's going to be demand for them. But are they a $100 billion, $50 billion, even a $10 billion company? I don't think so. But they'll still survive. I, I, feel, I feel quite strongly about that. It's just going to be a fraction of what what a lot of people want them to be because it's just not going to have the scale. So that's my thoughts around Lucid. Yeah, I was, uh, was going to say that there, I, I think the stock is terrible. Um, yeah, I agree with that. It, it, I, I think maybe the, the car, in this case, the car is going to be much better than the stock. 
I believe. I agree. That's a great point. Which is what a lot of people say about Tesla. And I'm like, they're both great. <laughs> Which is funny. Not financial advice. Uh, let's do a couple more. Let's uh, let's see the next question here. Uh, from Ian, what should someone who has a heavy-duty diesel technician background do to get into the EV industry? Ooh. Um, try to work for Tesla. That's That would be my best advice. Just apply. Uh, Tesla.com slash careers. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and apply and see if you can get your foot in the door. I think what's interesting about heavy-duty diesel, though, is that there's still going to be a demand for those for the at least the next say five years because this uh, really tesla is the only one you also have nikola and you have uh hylion you have a couple other players that are building semi trucks that are going to be competing with diesel trucks as well but there's so many diesel trucks on the road and a lot of these are going to be probably operational for quite a while until that fleet turns over to electric so i would say that Industry probably is going to have more demand than ever in the next five years as people look to hold on to their trucks until they're able to get the next generation. But if you're looking to get your foot in the door early, just um, see if you can start working for the companies that are building the next generation vehicle. And that should give you enough experience to sort of uh, start going down that path. What do you guys think? Any any thoughts there? Well, and, you know, if he's making great money, one option is just keep doing what you're doing while you're making money at it and kind of hedge your future with purchasing stock. It's a good thought. Richard? Yeah, I was going to say, you know, I, I agree with you. He could join Lucid. He can go work at Lucid. He could go, you know, Polestar, Tesla, maybe GM and Ford. Rivian. Maybe they'd be more welcoming of uh, somebody with that background. I don't know. Um, but there also might be separate kind of training facilities where you can kind of get trained in the technology as a general rule and expand your uh, skill set. Good thoughts. Next one. Super Jonah, what news should come out for the Tesla stock to take off fast? Great question. This is one that uh, I think a lot of Tesla investors have been struggling with for a year <laughs> as we've been going uh, down uh, with the rest of the market. It does seem like the way I think about Tesla stock is I think we need to start going down the path of the market, realizing what the future profits of the company are going to be as far as like having a clear lens into seeing like, okay, Tesla's going to make be making 20, 30, $40 billion in cash next year. Cybertruck looks to be assured to secure you know, X number of units per year. Model Y is going to become this um, really big, uh, sort of the largest vehicle by unit volume in the world. So that's a great thing. And the question becomes how much of that is already priced in. But I think full self-driving is going to be truly the next leg up for the stock. So once it becomes obvious that full self-driving is really the the transformational technology that, you know, the folks that are fans of Tesla and what they do, um believe it is that's when it goes from say where it is now to maybe 2x 3x 4x because that's truly the transformational lever that you're pulling for the company uh, the other stuff is probably going to be more around getting tesla to behave more like an apple or a google where it's like oh look at how much money they're making look at how much money they're making and yeah you're going to get a steady uh upwards lift for the stock but for it to do that 2x the 3x the 4x that some of us think it could do it's all about full self-driving. Uh, what do you guys think? 
I think this question scares me a little bit. If you need Tesla, and there there will be different people coming from different perspectives on this, but if you need Tesla stock to take off fast, you're probably over leveraged. You're probably overexposed more than likely. Um, some people aren't, but you know, a lot of times the desire for that is, hey, I want to make money fast. I want to take shortcuts. Shortcuts are a road to nowhere. And you have to think about someone like Emmett Peppers, for example, who made an incredible amount of money on Tesla in a very short window of time. They think, oh, how can I replicate that? What people don't appreciate is that Emmett was making those covered calls from like 2014 all the way through 2020. And he took, I think, relative, if I remember correctly, it was something like a $10 million position and it was whittled down to about a million dollars before it finally hit and the stock rocketed around the S&P inclusion. Um, and so he had to be in a position where he could survive for years on the stock, not making that really fast move before he was finally able to take in. And so it wasn't just his ability to recognize an opportunity for a fast move to potentially come. It was also his ability to patiently fail, 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 hit a number of losing bets before he finally hit the winning one. And so anyways, that's my one my one concern on that question as a general question. Those are great points. Richard, what do you think? Yeah, I would frame it a little differently. I wouldn't frame it as the stock taking off. I would frame it as positive catalyst uh, because, you know, you can have a positive catalyst in a bad uh, market and you don't go down as much as the rest of the market. So that might be the impact. And kind of for me, what I was thinking, kind of the things that I think in the immediate term, what I would think would be positive catalyst. One, if uh, Elon starts talking about Tesla more, just use the term. <laughs> That's all. That's one. Two, the factory announcement. If uh, next week, Elon says, we're building a factory in 2024 in Quebec, and we're going to build a factory in 2025 in Monterey, Mexico. That, I would think, would be a huge uh, up because it would increase the future capacity of, of Tesla. Um, I think delivery numbers in the beginning of January and the production numbers may also be a catalyst, positive catalyst, because we know it's going to be a record production month, no matter what. And so that should be positive. Um, and the, the other thing is, and I don't think we think about this a lot, but the analysts will not consider and give us any credit in value if the product is not in the stream of commerce. So for example, when that first semi truck is delivered, number one, they can start pricing that into the stock price. And when the first cyber truck is delivered, they can start pricing that in. So there might be a dramatic move when that happens because it's starting from zero. So it's it's going to be a quite a move. But they don't consider it at this point in time. It's It doesn't exist. So we're kind of operating from a different playing field in that way. Great points. No, that, that's, uh, that's very helpful. Uh, let's do one more. Oh, sorry. The, well, ahead, the last huh? point on that, the biggest thing that would make Tesla radically rise is the same uh, 
catalyst that will make everything rise, and that's the Fed doing a complete 180 pivot on Very monetary true. policy. What do you think is the likelihood of that? But maybe just Very throw that low. around for a little bit. Very low. Richard? Yeah, Bullard came out yesterday, and he was pretty negative. He said that interest rates could go. He didn't say they would go, but he said they can go as high as 7%, the, the, which is, you know, that's quite a distance to go. And I think, you know, he's trying to just pour hot water on the, really, I think they're obviously trying to suppress business. That's their intent. And every time they come out like that, I think that's their intention. So they may be overstating what's actually occurring to get the effect they want. It blows my mind that there is a panel of people that can do that to an entire economy to this day. Like I still, it's like, makes it's making me question everything. <laughs> it's like, how is that even possible? Go ahead, Hans. <laughs> Chamar made a really good point, though, on this, on his interview with Lex Friedman, where he said that it's very possible that Jerome Powell is the most important person right now in the world for curtailing conflict risk that by raising interest rates so high, it makes going to war so costly that it changes the calculus on that decision. And people really like, you really, 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 really have to want to go to war if you're going to be paying five, six, 7% on all the bonds that you're issuing. You know, as the base federal funds rate being that high, it just means that your war bonds, they're going to be ridiculous. It'll be almost impossible to service that debt. Um, and so this changes the the calculus for everyone internationally on their appetite for conflict. So, you know, I think maybe that is a good thing at this point in time where we've got tensions kind of escalating. And so I don't know how I feel about it overall. Like I'm, I'm definitely willing to undergo some economic difficulties for a few years if it means that our risk of getting engaged in nuclear conflict is even reduced by only 15, 20%. Yeah. What I was going to say is Howard, okay, I agree. When you're talking about nuclear conflict, I agree with you. I'm just talking about it in terms of it being an economic solution. How, you know, this is my opinion. How ridiculous is it, is it that the tool that the Fed has to use as a solution is to put the country in a recession? That's ridiculous. That's a bad solution. You got to find a better way of dealing with it in the future. You can't put people out of jobs and make their life more difficult. And that's your solution. I think that's ridiculous. I agree with that. hundred percent. Yeah, I agree too. Uh, yeah. In today's world, we should have so much better, like we should have better tools at our disposal. Yeah. Um, Producer wife, can you pull up a, a, one more question? And then can you also in the background uh, pull up the last tweets that Elon just put out? It's a, actually a pretty interesting thing we should uh, probably close off the panel with. Uh, it's regarding Twitter and uh, brand new policies. So that's going to be a fascinating topic here. Uh, question for the panel. Do you I think Berkshire will invest in Tesla? Will it accelerate Elon's vision of $4.5 trillion? Uh, I don't know if it's going to accelerate it per se, but I do think it's going to... Um, it's going to go, if it were to happen, I think it's a signal to people that invest in a very conservative manner that one of the most, uh, value seeking firms out there has now given a stamp of approval to Tesla that says you are now deemed, uh, a company that 
those of us that think very long term and want to uh, make as much money as possible over the long term and ensuring that our wealth is preserved as much as possible, you are now given that stamp of approval. But I don't think that happens until they have uh, uh, some sort of buyback program in place or some sort of dividend in place, because that's a lot of the companies how they think is like, hey, how can I generate value? How can the company pay me while I have money in there and I don't have to sell any money? How can they move their profits? from their company to me over time. How do you guys think about that uh, question? Hans or Richard, any thoughts? I, th I think that as, you know, depending on what happens with the price, if we continue to be in a recession or um, and the, the market continues to go down and the PE continues to compress on Tesla, I think it gets really attractive for someone like Berkshire. Um, so I could definitely see that happening. If we see a quick rebound and the PE gets back to more historic norms, I think it's a lot less likely. Um, Buffett and Munger are very price conscious on where they want to enter into things. So I think that'll be the determining factor there. And then will it accelerate Elon's vision of 4.5 trillion market cap? I actually, you know, I don't think it'll alter the execution of Tesla one iota. I think it will alter the public perception of the value of Tesla pretty dramatically. And so, yes, I actually do think it would accelerate the uh, the stock price rally to 4.5 trillion. Richard? Yeah, I think it. I would be surprised if they would invest because I think Elon's just too strong a CEO for them. Uh, they're both kind of, you know, I think Munger and Buffett are in their upper 90s. I don't know if Berkshire is going to operate in the same fashion once they're gone. So I don't know if they would, that, that would be something they would uh, be interested in. However, since Munger spoke this week about Elon, maybe let's, let's throw this out. Maybe they already bought and they just haven't reported it yet. And that's why he came out and made the statement to kind of support their purchase. Uh, I'm sure they are able to figure out the Tesla's price, Stock price is a value, a relative value. So it probably fits within that kind of uh, criteria for them. Um, but if they, if it turned out, if next week we find out Berkshire bought into Tesla, I think Tesla would skyrocket. I mean, I think 20%. Wow. I mean, I think it'd go crazy because I think it would be a real signal that Tesla was safe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess I didn't have a percentage point in mind, but if the signal is it is a safe company and even when Elon's out there with doing his quote unquote shenanigans with Twitter, we're still be believing the company enough that we're willing to throw our money behind it. You're 100 percent right. <laughs> it's, a, it's a sample of approval on, on how on how the company is being run and its ability to generate profits. And this is a question I want us to ask Gary Black, like. What does the perception of Tesla as an investment change within the institutional community specifically if Berkshire invests? That's a great point. That's a great question. Go ahead, Richard. I'm going to say 20% sounds like a lot, but the stock's at 170 and you move to 205. Uh, that's 20% and it's still undervalued. Yeah, that's fair. Um. All right, let's go ahead and uh, wrap it up by pulling up the latest tweets here from our, our boy. Uh, Elon Musk 
uh, about what 10 minutes ago new twitter policies freedom of speech but not freedom of reach negative hate tweets will be max deboosted and demonetized so no ads or other revenue to twitter you won't find the tweets unless you specifically seek it out which is no different from the rest of internet and then a reply below kathy griffin jordan peterson and babylon b have been reinstated trump decision has not yet been made so that's still a that's a that's a trump overhang uh, no, this applies just to the individual tweet, not the whole account. Okay, interesting. Um, so some clear guidance, I think, to add uh, partners by this tweet, I believe. Uh, <laughs> now we're getting into all the memes. Twitter is such a fun place, y'all. Um, so let's read some replies. This is a great move by Twitter. It will help to create a more positive environment on the platform and make it more difficult for trolls and haters to reach a wide audience. Um there's a princess, what is that, a Joker meme? Elon Musk with the $44 billion all on fire. Uh, great movie. Uh, scroll down a little bit more. Let's see what else people are saying here. Um, <laughs> more memes. Uh, it's funny how he fires employees for speaking their mind. I don't think that's why he fired them. These are the kind of tweets that make me laugh every time. Like just People are just virtual signaling 24-7. It's like so fun. Um, very interesting uh, comment there, which I'm sure Richard is thrilled about. Uh, yeah, and there's a, a few other things down there. Okay, very good. So what do you guys think? What do you guys think about those news um, that that were just uh, that was just posted by uh, Elon? Any thoughts? I think that's great prog progress in a short period of time. Yeah. Hans? Yeah, doing like he literally said that this is exactly what he was going to do before he ever took over. And so now we're, what, two weeks in and starting to see progress on that. I'd say mission accomplished. Yeah. It's interesting on the Trump, on the, you know, I'm, I'm not a big, just I'm from California. I don't have to tell you how, where I fall, but it's interesting that he hasn't decided on that. And I know they had kind of a falling out at the end, but it must be, uh, mm -hmm. I don't know if it's because of Trump's, uh, co you know, uh, competing, uh, what is it, DWAC, whatever that, uh, social media site is but it's interesting i interesting i would be interested to see what elon's thinking is on that i view it as two different classes of problems like what babylon b and kathy griffin like that is one level of policy so i think the decision was just made on that level of policy and then you know trump and kanye that's like another level of moderation that they've got to figure out and so yeah i think it's just that that class of problem has not been addressed and figured out yet yeah that uh, princess leia donald's like please show the the meme worth it help us ligma johnson you're our only hope <laughs> the one below it too that thing had me dying with um dude that tweet was so when i saw it last night when everybody was losing their mind about how twitter is gonna die on twitter and then that that <laughs> it's like 355,000 retweets. My God, that thing had me literally dying. Uh, so funny. Yeah, it's it's a very fun time to be on the internet nowadays. I think that's that's very underrated. You know, in in a, in a sort of the type of time that we live in, I think something like this is very healthy for the population because literally, I can see it. Everybody's on there just kind of getting their thoughts out and getting everything out. And I think over time, what I'm hoping happens is folks will get all that stuff out of their system. And then in one, one, two weeks time when Twitter's still alive and people are still buying Teslas 
and the people's lives hopefully are not affected by Twitter. Hopefully we have better discourse. But the the one variable that I was discussed a little bit earlier on the show was um, recession. And when recession happens and people really do start to tighten and they start fearing for their future, I wonder what kind of uh, world we're going to live in in the next three to six years and or three to six months and how is you know how Twitter is going to be impacted, how Tesla is going to be impacted, how Discord is going to be impacted. It's going to be it's going to be fascinating to watch, but at the same time, I'm also a little uh, little concerned in a way too. So, um, any closing thoughts before we wrap up the sucker, Hans, Richard? Yeah, I just think structurally it's the right move too. That people should be able to say things that people disagree with that are really going to be unpopular. Um, you know, I think it's really hard for, you know, going back in the history of civil rights for an organization like the ACLU to defend the rights of neo-Nazis to speak hateful speech. Um, that's a really, really tough position to hold as someone who is the object of the hate. I kind of wish that we had more of that in the world. And I think this is a step towards making that a little bit more possible in the current climate. Couldn't agree more. Morgan? Yeah, I just wish everybody a, a healthy and nice weekend. Enjoy yourself and uh, rest and relax. You heard it from the man himself. Thank you all so much. Have a great weekend. We'll see you on the next one. We'll be back probably on Monday, maybe something over the weekend, depending on what kind of craziness we have. But anyway. Thank you all very much. Producer wife, great job. Everybody give producer wife in the background a huge round of applause. Yeah, if you look at her, she's giving herself a round of applause. Great job. Killed it. Uh, yeah, thank you so much for the discussion. Thank you, everybody, in the comments section. This is one of my, honestly, I look forward to Friday forums uh, so much. And now that we have producer wife in the background, we have a different layer of, uh, of uh, sort of community here where we're bringing comments forward and discussing it as a group. Thank you all very much. Have a great weekend. Love you guys. We'll see you around. And broadcast. Let's see what happens. Ah. And.